Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include rates around the globe, my interview with Fidelity National Financial's Chuck Kane on the controversy surrounding attorney opinion letters in lieu of title insurance, and is new news old news? Thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, Bill. Built is powering smarter and faster money movement for the entire construction and real estate ecosystem, all while reducing risk. To learn more, visit getbuilt.com. If Pete Davidson can date a Kardashian, you can be a homeowner. From a business viewpoint, if you think mortgage rates are bad, try NFTs. I don't know what I was thinking, sinking my entire 401k into that sector a few years ago. And now my collection of fake, imaginary art is worthless? It's good to keep things in perspective. If you think rates in the U.S. are too high, try being a lender in Pakistan, where they're 22%, or Turkey with the benchmark rate at 25%. Although buyers in the U.S. don't have to contend with rates like that, what are the big concerns in the home buying experience? A sizable portion believe that they will not be able to afford the mortgage payment, Almost as many believe that they won't be able to save or don't have enough for a down payment, something that their home will not be a good investment, and there's a portion who believe that they can't trust the real estate agent or the lender. LOs certainly have their work cut out for them. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau released its annual report on residential mortgage lending activity and trends. Mortgage applications and originations declined markedly from the prior year, while rates, fees, discount points, and other costs increased. Costs and fees rose 22% from the prior year to an average of $5,954 per file. Overall, affordability declined significantly, with borrowers spending more of their income on mortgage payments. The average monthly mortgage payments increased more than 46%, and lenders more often denying applications for insufficient income. Black and Hispanic borrowers were denied loans at higher rates, received smaller loans, were charged higher interest rates, and paid more in upfront fees than white and Asian borrowers. Lenders denied loan applications due to insufficient income at higher rates than at any point since that data was first collected and reported in 2018. Most refinances during the reporting period were cash-out refinances, and overall refinance activity dropped by more than 73%. Home equity lines of credit were the only form of refinancing to see a rise. In a reversal of recent trends, the median credit score of refinance borrowers declined below the median credit score of purchase borrowers. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Fidelity National Financial's Chuck Kane to talk about the controversy surrounding attorney opinion letters in lieu of title insurance. After I had a representative from Boxster a couple weeks back on the show to talk about attorney opinion letters, I received a couple of different notes from attorneys talking about how Boxster won't share the actual agreements not even a written summary of coverage, limits, deductibles, exclusions, etc., without an NDA. So this interview is kind of a matter of presenting both sides. There's no insurance regulator protecting lenders looking over Voxter's shoulder to make sure the coverage is as they promise. The GSEs don't particularly care either because they can rely on reps and warrants from sellers and servicers to fill any holes, i.e. repurchase and indemnification remedies. I'd like you to give the audience a little background on attorney opinion letters or, or AOLs. Uh, it sounds like Freddie's been doing this for a long time. Fanny recently got in the game and there's certainly controversy that's surrounded 
some of this of late uh, with various uh, players in the space. So kind of, can you give us a, a high level overview of what's going on? Sure. Um, you know, uh, I, I've been in the industry now for 40 years, um, which always depresses me when I think of it. But anyway, um, that uh, when I began, uh, and I'm based in Cincinnati, uh, in the industry, the title agencies basically worked with FHA and VA lenders because FHA and VA both required title insurance. Most conventional mortgage lending was done by thrifts. Uh, in Cincinnati, we had 136 savings and loans in the tri-state area, four counties of Southwest Ohio, three counties Northern Kentucky. Um, they made all the mortgage loans, the conventional mortgage loans. Commercial banks really weren't that involved. Uh, and then we had uh, uh, a bit of a change in, in my experience. The first was Citibank, who decided to get in the mortgage business through a mortgage corporation uh, subsidiary uh, in the early 80s. They went to title insurance nationally. And as we saw more and more of the larger banks, uh, such as you know, Wells Fargo and Chase, uh, get into the mortgage business, particularly after the savings and loan meltdown of the mid-80s when the SNLs effectively went away, um, that uh, title insurance became the standard. And a lot of reasons for that, um, you know, when you're when you're a savings and loan and you're not selling your loans in the secondary market, as the vast majority did not, um, you can always reach back to the attorney if there's a problem. And, you know, an attorney's opinion is assurance as versus insurance. And there is a significant difference there. When Again, when I started in the industry, if the, an attorney who was doing a title search and examination uh, found a problem in regard to title, you just didn't close until it was resolved of record. Um, things were different 40 years ago um, as far as um, state of the public records, as far as who we were as a country, um, and uh, and of course, not nearly as many people. Uh, but all that being said, you know, this has been around for a long time. Freddie has been buying loans uh, since the mid-1990s. Uh, I know that because I was uh, at a, uh, in a meeting with Freddie in 1995, or representatives from Freddie. Um, and at the time, they said, well, yeah, we're willing to buy loans using attorney opinions because at that time, there are a lot of places in the country where there just aren't title agencies. We want to be able to buy loans from community lenders who are in those more remote areas. Um, likewise, um, and for those of us in the title industry, there is Iowa, where title insurance simply is prohibited by law. Um, the Iowa Guarantee Fund is the basis of it. So Freddie's look of it was, this was sort of an outlier uh, circumstance. Um, so we've had it around for a long time, and there are uh, lending institutions, uh, um, here, especially in Southwest Ohio, and and my area has been described as the epicenter of attorney opinion letters, who have been selling loans to Freddie for again thirty years using attorney opinion letters. So it's been around for a long time, and attorney opinions of title, in fact, have been around well since well before title insurance. Uh, it's based off a visual examination of what appears in the courthouse or public records. So there are certain things such as mechanics liens, federal tax liens, that may not uh, appear in the public record that may later attach to the property and in fact take priority over a mortgage or over uh, uh, a new buyer's uh, interest in the property that an attorney simply can't see. 
because they're not there. So, um, you know, title insurance came in to remedy much of those uh, problems, um, uh, as well as the fact that if there is a problem in regard to uh, the opinion, the remedy for the lender is, well, you've got to sue the attorney uh, to recover uh, their e or malpractice insurance, then steps in. Um, and what I have found, uh, talking to malpractice carriers around the country, there are severe limitations about what they're prepared to cover in regard to attorney opinions, either as to the number of them that can be issued or if you can issue them at all. And if you can issue them, usually it's a writer to the policy and it costs far more because there tend to be a lot of claims. But uh, it, uh, you know, it presented problems and in, in say looking back into the early 80s when people like City and Wells and, and Chase got into this through their mortgage corpse, um, they just didn't want to chase around uh, attorneys all over the country, uh, perhaps without the ability to recover, depending on the statute of limitations for attorney malpractice. In Kentucky, attorney malpractice is a one-year statute of limitations. Uh, so you have a year and a day to be able to uh, try to recover if there is an error in the opinion. So for all those reasons, title insurance became the standard beyond FHA and VA. So we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, and the uh, uh, American College of Real Estate Lawyers and the American Bar Association 20 years ago came out with an opinion and set of standards about attorneys' opinions, about what they uh, of title and what they can be and what they cannot be. Um, I will say that, you know, in review of those, many of the points that are pointed out by Acrell and the ABA uh, as to what you can and cannot do as an attorney um, fly directly in the face of what Fannie and Freddie say you have to provide. So, uh, you know, it's been around for a long time. <clears throat> it's been uh, you know, a bit of an outlier, a uh, small number. And today, as my understanding, you know, hundreds of loans are being purchased a month using AOLs. That's a drop in the bucket compared to the millions of loans that Freddie and Fannie buy on a monthly basis. Title insurance is interesting because it's rare where insurance is actually insuring an event in the past rather than an event that could happen in the future. Uh, but like you said, it, these attorney opinion letters have been around for a long time. So I guess the the question that I should ask you is why is there so much controversy right now? What's what's made this kind of rear its head in 2022 and 2023? Well, I think, you know, as, as far as the controversy and concern, um, in regard to uh, attorney opinion letters, um, is that you know a lot of it has come forward as a result of the uh, equitable housing finance programs that uh, uh, Fannie and Freddie put together under FHA FHFA's requirements, um, and so we have this big push. We have a home affordability problem in this country. We all know it. Um, without spending any time on it, property and casualty insurance is becoming a major, major problem of that. But title insurance has been mentioned um, in uh, uh, those uh, equitable housing finance plans, um, also comments by the CFPB, um, that the cost of title insurance, um, not title insurance per se, but the cost of title insurance may be an impediment to home ownership. I think that's part of the controversy in that. The American Land Title Association has gone out of their way to demonstrate that the cost is not that significantly different, um, but more importantly, the benefits um, are far higher to the consumer in particular. 
And especially if you're talking about first-time home buyers, underserved communities, um, you know, these are people who need to be insured uh, as well as they can be because they have spent their last time trying to buy uh, a property. And I think, too, that, you know, a concern is, <clears throat> is again, um, as I mentioned, you know, we're, we're not seeing some tsunami of uh, activity in regard to AOLs. They're out there. But, you know, does the consumer in particular and does the lender uh, and the real estate professional understand what they're getting and not getting? Um, if they are going the route of an attorney opinion letter as versus uh, title insurance and the exposure they may have. Does a lender understand that if Fannie compels a repurchase of the loan, which they can and will do under their own guidelines, if there is a title problem, that it then becomes that originating lender's obligation to try to find that attorney and try to recover from them if there is a loss, likewise for a consumer. And for the you know the real estate professional, um, you know title insurance, just like homeowners warranties and a number of things, help the real estate professional and the real estate agent uh, from the standpoint that if there is a title problem, suddenly they're not in the middle of some jackpot, concerning about well we told them to go ahead and get an attorney opinion, it might save them a few dollars. Well, if that real estate agent or broker provides that sort of uh, Council, and if there is a problem, I think suddenly they're going to find themselves uh, being uh, on a long list of defendants. So, you know, I, there's a concern, I think, about erosion of confidence, not so much an erosion of business, but an erosion of confidence uh, from the title industry in particular as to, uh, you know, what does the consumer understand about the difference between an attorney opinion letter and title insurance? And, you know, so they can make an intelligent, reasonable choice based off the value of the two different types of products and services. Are we going to see some calming of heads here going forward? Do you think there's a, a solution to be had? I know a, a, a colleague of yours had expressed to me he's frustrated that a lot of these AOLs don't release the actual policy that they're claiming to offer, really. And uh, I, I could see why that would be an issue. But how do you see this issue continuing to evolve from here? Well, I think, again, I don't think we're going to see a tsunami of activity. Um, I do not believe that, certainly not Freddie, they've had these standards for 30 years. Fannie, I don't think they're going to reverse themselves on buying loans uh, using AOLs. But, you know, there has been a question raised in regard to particular vendors who have advertised that they have a wrapper insurance policy such that, and some of the problems I've just described, as versus having to go back against the individual attorney, that there is this wrapper policy that supersedes or provides additional coverage beyond traditional errors and omissions and malpractice insurance for attorneys. Um, you know, in regard to those particular insurance policies, the concern of the American Land Title Association is, well, that sounds like title insurance. And we are an intensely regulated industry, regulated state by state, as to our requirements, as to our reserve requirements. We have literally billions of dollars as an industry on reserve to be sure we can meet claims requirements. So if there is such a wrapper policy, as may be discussed or advertised by a vendor, what does it say? What does it do? 
Um, is it effective? And uh, as an, an, an insurance commissioner, as a regulator, um, and this has been raised uh, by the Title Insurance Task Force and NIAC, it's like, well, what is this? And is it not, in fact, title insurance under a different name? So that's a concern. And, you know, let's say a year from now that um, AOLs are being issued, there is this backup policy. We all just run along our merry way in regard to these. And then there's a determination by a regulator that, well, this is really title insurance, and therefore the product is ineffective or unusable in my particular state. Um, where does that leave everybody? And it probably leaves them with nothing but their pencil in their hand, as the saying goes. The lender now has really nothing in regard to due diligence if there is uh, uh, nothing backing up that attorney opinion. Again, beyond the statute of limitations in regard to uh, recovery against an attorney for an error. And those statutes, again, as I mentioned, you know, in Kentucky, it's a year. In many states, it's a year. And it's a year from the event. And it's a year from discovery. But by and large, uh, they go as long as six years from discovery uh, around the country. Um, but uh, title insurance is good literally forever. Uh, so in regard to uh, loan policy, it's life alone. If people keep the loan for 30 years, it's a 30-year policy. Owner's policy, they own the property for 50 years. They're covered for 50 years. And even after they were to sell the property, you still are insured. So again, you know, what, uh, you know, what exactly are these other programs or policies? Um, do they meet state regulation? And that's something for the insurance commissioners to make their determination uh, once they've had a chance to uh, view these underlying policies. You've spoken extensively on this around the nation at, at conferences and events. What does the audience want to know? What are the questions they ask? What do they feel like they need clarification on from you? Well, I'd say um, that, uh, and again, in my presentations and, and in our industry, an awful lot of title agents in the United States are attorneys or the owners of title agencies are attorneys. And in particular areas of the country, in New England, upstate New York, uh, in the Southeast, generally, in the upper Rocky Mountain states, it, attorneys dominate uh, in regard to uh, uh, operating uh, title insurance agencies, some by law, some by custom. Um, and uh, so, you know, a question uh, that comes up uh, that I get are from the attorneys in the audience. And it's like, well, you know, what happens if I do one of these AOLs? What are my liabilities? And they can be quite extensive. Likewise, as I said, you know, the Acrel ABA opinion um, has an awful lot of language in it that really flies in the face of what Fannie says they want, because the Fannie and Freddie requirements include things such as not taking exception as to matters of survey, uh, also if it's an adjustable rate mortgage, um, uh, assuring the lender that the terms of the adjustable rate uh, loan meet uh, state law. That's usually a different kind of opinion. Surveys. Uh, a survey is something that only a surveyor can provide an opinion as to a matter of survey. So there's a number of things that are being requested that are not traditionally part of the historic opinion letter. So I get a lot of questions from attorneys about that. Um, I also get a lot of questions from um, both lay and uh, attorney agents that you know they've had conversations with their community lenders, and either because they're selling the loan in the secondary market. 
uh, to Fannie or Freddie, or perhaps they are originating for a wholesale lender that may, in fact, um, have an AOL program available. You know, what does that mean for that community lender? And, and I think that's a very serious conversation that anyone in the title uh, industry, or if they are counsel to a lender, there needs to be that understanding about, again, what you're getting and not getting. So, um, you know, I, I don't I don't get from most of my audiences uh, this concern that, oh, my Lord, um, you know, title insurance, as we know, it is going to go away and we're going to go back to attorney opinion letters because it's just not happening. Um, but again, that erosion of confidence, that erosion of understanding. And, you know, if a title agency um, where they are permitted to and in some states they're not, but if an title agency closes a transaction using an attorney opinion letter in lieu of title insurance, what are their potential liabilities? What are their issues to come into play? Because they're not acting as a title agent. They're acting simply as a settlement service provider. And that creates a whole other jurisdiction, including the jurisdiction of the CFPB. So those are the questions that come up. And again, because I come from an area of the country where we've seen these, we've had them for a long period of time. Uh, a lot of the questions are just, well, how do these things work or not? Um, and what are the distinctions? So that, again, when the local title agent or attorney is having a conversation with their their lender, with, uh, again, consumers, um, um, or with their uh, real estate professional uh, partners, that everybody understands what these things are and what they aren't. Chuck, very well put. I really appreciate you making the time for me today. I found this highly oh. informative, and, and I think the audience will, too. Good. Well, you know, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, let me know if there's anything that uh, else I can provide. Again, you know, I... I uh, this is uh, it, this is going to be a, like a nagging issue, shall I put it that way? Usually, economic news impacts stocks and bond prices differently. A piece of news that indicates a slowing economy causes stock market weakness and also helps bond prices, driving rates down. But not as of late. The recent surge in rates, because of hawkish Fed rhetoric following the September FOMC meeting, continued yesterday. Ongoing re 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 repricing of higher for longer Fed sentiment sent rates sharply higher and the curves sharply steeper for the third straight session. That was despite the U.S. Treasury conducting an even stronger $49 billion five-year note sale following Tuesday's solid $48 billion two-year note sale. Durable goods orders rose 0.2% in August based on higher defense spending. And Minneapolis Fed President Kashkari said that a government shutdown or prolonged United Auto Workers' strike could act to lower inflation and reduce the need for the Fed to further hike rates. Today's economic calendar is underway with the final look at Q2 GDP. Generally viewed as old news, it was unchanged at 2.1%, and weekly jobless claims, which came in up 2,000 to 204,000. GDP was expected to be unchanged from the prior reading at 2.1%. The core PCE deflator registered 3.7%, as expected. Later this morning brings pending home sales for August, KC Fed manufacturing for September, a treasury auction of $37 billion of seven-year notes, Freddie Mac's latest primary mortgage market survey, and remarks from Chicago Fed President Goolsby, Fed Governor Cook, Chair Powell, and Richmond President Barkin. We begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Wednesday night, and the 10-year yielding 4.61 after closing yesterday at 4.63%. 
The two years yielding 5.11% this morning. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. A boss walked into his office one morning, not knowing his zipper was down and his fly area wide open. His assistant walked up to him and quipped, This morning when you left your house, did you close your garage door? The boss told her he knew he closed the garage door and walked into his office puzzled by the question. As he finished his paperwork, he suddenly noticed his fly was open and zipped it up. He then understood his assistant's question about his garage door. He headed out for a cup of coffee and paused by her desk to ask, When my garage door was open, did you see my Hummer parked in there? She smiled and replied, No, I didn't. All I saw was an old minivan with two flat tires. (laughs) Thanks again to this week's podcast sponsor, Built Technology. Built is powering smarter and faster money movement for the entire construction and real estate ecosystem, all while reducing risk. To learn more, visit GetBuilt.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.